0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
2: Jake, yesterday Jim Irsay fired off this tweet. For the 23 draft, we have many options. With the number 4 pick, we could stay put and take a QB. Or trade up and take a QB. Or trade down and maybe, in all caps, take a QB. Or not. Also in all caps. I I find it odd when he throws in the caps and when he doesn't. Uh, Smiley face emoji. All options on the table. but We like our position and are very excited. Fire up! Exclamation point football emoji
1: knows how to always have the conversation going right
2: four pictures by the way with that tweet um you make anything of the order or who are in those pictures i
1: don't actually because doing those uh when you do those little photo collages you just sit there and you click on four things and half the time i have no idea what order they put them in
2: Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis. sounds like Levis is meeting with the Colts today. Uh, Mark, you said Anthony Richardson in Tennessee? Yep, later today. Mm -hmm. So Anthony Richardson has met with the Raiders, who have the 7th pick, and now the Titans, who have the 11th pick. Potential trade-uppers?
1: Titans are are intriguing because... New GM. And seemingly, the Titans have become more... In the last few weeks, it seems to me, Kevin, like, because if you recall last year, one of the real intriguing prospects, Hendon Hooker this year is a guy that, you know, every team is like, you know, what if you wait, uh, you know, until like 20 and then you sneak in and you take Hendon Hooker? And everybody seemingly is thinking the same thing with that. And a year ago, I remember the one name that, that kept sneaking around. You know, oh, he's got a great arm and he's athletic. Was Malik Willis, right? And Tennessee ends up taking him, and he did get some opportunity there. And if you recall, it comes time for the playoffs, and they did not put him on the field. Did they see enough from him already to think that they need to be back in the quarterback market? I don't know that, but it certainly seems that way. And so all of a sudden, Tennessee in the last couple of weeks has had this kind of surge of being one of the quarterback players as well, where that seems like they are really exploring that. And if that's the case, you have to give Tennessee credit, and maybe even more so than Indianapolis, because Tennessee basically said, you know what, we have a guy on the roster in Ryan Tannehill who's been a good player for us, but we can see... That perhaps the end is starting to come. And we have another guy that we didn't see enough of. So we are going to stick with that instead of just kicking the can down the road every year.
2: Shouldn't they just trade Derrick Henry at this point?
1: I I thought that that was, there was rumor that that was out there. I guess the problem with Derrick Henry is what is the, you know, Derrick Henry's one of those guys, you know, whenever I've always felt, felt this okay whenever an athlete moves to town matt ryan we'll take matt ryan matt ryan moves to indy and buys a six million dollar house i don't know if it was that much but you know two and a half million whatever and then after a year he is going to leave so his house goes up for sale well how many people in indianapolis realistically can afford that kind of a house jermaine O'Neill's house was empty here in this town for a long time because it's a sprawling house with a bowling alley and a theater. I mean, how many people in this market are in the market for a house like that? Okay, in the NFL, how many teams are really in the market for a running back where they have to give up the kind of assets it would take to get a running back like that? Now you would think if not a lot of people are in the market for that running back, that devalues what he is going to fetch. But you can bet that Tennessee is looking for like a number one for Derrick Henry and is anybody in 2023 willing to give up a number one for a running back
2: no and again it's not like this guy's helping you out a ton well first off age um yeah that's the thing right I mean you know he's probably around the corner just general bit. wear and tear he's not going to help you out on third down that's a big deal I think you saw what Christian McCaffrey netted last year um and even him you know um it's not like he is from a first and second down option at the Henry level you know I I was thinking about this over the weekend a little bit, Jake. I think what is fascinating and maddening about the draft process when it comes to quarterback is you go back to that 2018 draft where the Colts took Quentin Nelson, and around Quentin Nelson you had Baker Mayfield go one, you had Sam Darnold go three, you had Josh Allen go seven. If you look back on that college football season for those guys, remember Baker Mayfield... Winning at Ohio State, planting the flag in oh, midfield, yeah. Yeah. and how outstanding he was in that game. Yeah. I mean, think about it, if you're an NFL team, you're sitting there saying that guy just went into the most hostile, one of the most hostile environments you're going to find in college football. Won the game, was outstanding, was incredible. Darnold was 350 yards in the Rose Bowl. You know, beat Stanford late in the season to get USC to the Rose Bowl. Josh Allen has a home game against Oregon. I mean, a dream game if you're a mid-major prospect. You get a big-time program to Laramie, Wyoming. And he completes 37% of his passes in that game. And now look at him. No more Baker planting the flag. No more Sam Darnold throwing for 350 in the Rose Bowl. Josh Allen's 37% afternoon against Oregon at home is the one that is clearly not even close, the best quarterback of that trio. Again, fascinating and maddening. Like, nothing you would have seen in college from a big-game standpoint would have led you to believe that Josh Allen would be the overwhelming best of that trio. And, you know, you look at these guys and you feel like you're scratching your head at that. I mean, C.J. Stroud, what he did in the semifinal game, he couldn't have scripted something better for himself in terms of opponent neutral field, you know, 41 points in that game, he did stuff with his legs, this and that. How does that translate? There's just such an unknown to this process that is what makes it probably very excruciating, I would guess, for for the decision makers involved.
1: And I don't even know that NFL scouts are pretty amazing. I mean, the, the number of players they have to watch and the number of places where they can find players, etc. They're pretty amazing. But even scouts probably would tell you, look, there's a there's an element to the science that is completely inexact and you just don't know. You know
2: what I mean? You I think a lot, a lot of it comes with just that position. You know, it's just, you get to this level, it is different. And I said this on Friday, and it's probably something that I will repeat a lot here between now and Thursday, a week from Thursday, when the draft gets underway. Again, I don't have this Benedict Matherin-type conviction on any of these QBs. Um, particularly the ones that you would assume will be in the Colts range, and that being Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. But I feel pretty strongly that Shane Steichen can get it done at quarterback. And I think if you're a Colts fan right now, and obviously Ursay's tweet is just a, a tweet and it's Jim Ursay, but you know, what he says in there, We like our position and are very excited, fire up exclamation point. Jake, what a week from Thursday offers it offers the Colts the first real opportunity to try and create hope. You know, when the Pacers traded for Tyrese Halliburton, again, it's not exactly apples to apples because Halliburton was in the league um, for a year, had already shown promise at this level. But it's the first time I think the Colts can take a step towards creating hope. And obviously, the draft pick is just a draft pick. You're going to have to do it at some point in the fall and for years to come. But finally they now are in a position to try something. And now the question becomes, will they, and how will that look?
1: Here's a really hard thing to determine when it comes to the draft. NBA draft, NFL draft, whatever it might be. To be a professional athlete, typically it means one of two things. A, you are so naturally, genetically, physically gifted that you just were born with the genetic lottery that gave you an athleticism that catapulted you into the elite of the elite or B you have such an unbelievable desire drive and competitiveness that you work as hard as you possibly can to get every advantage over opponents because you love to win or C and this is the, the rarest of the rare you have the combination of both. But what you don't know is if if somebody, for example, is in B and they work their tail off and they're competitive and they're driven and they get up and they're, they're drinking raw eggs at 4 o'clock in the morning and then running through the streets of their hometown and getting in the gym and putting up 100 shots or do, benching, whatever it might be. All that goes into that, and all that time, they are driven by the thought of walking across that stage, putting that hat on, hugging the commissioner, and mm-hmm. saying to themselves, I'm a first round pick. Kevin, the one thing you don't know, and it does take place, is the number of guys that in that moment, the dream is complete. And all the work that went in, all the extra mornings, all of the exercise, all of the nutritional discipline, all all of it that went into getting to that moment that creates in them a breaking point where they're like, I'm good. I got here. I, people told me I couldn't get here and I got here and I'm not saying that they say, so I'm just going to take my check and go home, but a level of complacency. Correct. All the work that went into that, the thought then of wait a minute now to stay here I've got to continue doing that for five more years becomes too mentally exhausting to a lot of players and I don't know quite frankly that anybody including that player can predict which way their body right. and their mind is going to go with that.
2: Yeah, I mean you're signing contracts that have a lot of commas and a
1: lot of zeros. Yep, and and, and you, you know you get a guy like Quinn Quinn Pickcock that's addicted to video games. I you know what I mean? They're all facets that come into play. And that's the one thing you just don't know. Yeah. And I don't think those guys know oftentimes. You know?
2: No, you I mean, you can't truly know. And obviously you can say this about a lot of walks of life, but in this realm it's a whole different animal in terms of the type of money and the hype and the attention and all of those things um that come with that. So again a week from Thursday for the Colts uh, things will get underway 8 o'clock for the NFL Draft. We'll chat with Ryan Walters here on the other side, Purdue head football coach. Well, kind of fitting. we got football weather here on this Monday. You are kidding, man. Uh, typically the last week of spring football around for college football programs. Uh, I think the ross Aid renovations, no spring game for Purdue this year with that, but they'll round things out coming up this weekend. And Ryan Walters has uh, been a popular man this spring, not only in starting you know, his first era as a football coach, head football coach, but also dealing with a lot of NFL personnel because his defensive players at Illinois, he's going to have several of them that will be drafted, I think, as early as a Thursday night here when round one gets away, gets underway a week from Thursday. So we'll do that next here. It is an overcast, a little bit of a spinning rain we were driving in i'm um, jake fresh off the red eye no raw eggs for you at 4 a.m this morning <laughs> i assume
1: no i was 4 a.m i was well 4 a.m la time um i was probably just landing 4 a.m our time i was probably somewhere over nevada i'm starting to feel it here
2: jake's cutting it out on this monday right. morning That's I'm right. mark dykton kevin bowen 93.5 5, 5 the Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Jake, I feel like it's fitting you look outside and I'm like, oh yeah, Purdue Northwestern kicking off here at noon. (laughs) That's right. This weather just screams Big Ten noon football here in the month of November. Frankly, it probably screams defensive mindset. Uh, so fittingly, again, we have uh, head coach Ryan Walters of the Purdue Boilermakers. You heard him when he first got hired. He's joined us here ahead of the close to the spring football season for the Purdue Boilermakers. Coach, good Monday morning to you.
3: Good morning. How you guys doing?
2: We're doing great. Uh, Appreciate the time. So, spring schedule is just a little bit different this year, right? No official spring game inside of the stadium?
3: Yeah, obviously, the, I'm looking out my window right now. There's no way we could get in the stadium, just with the yeah, construction that's been going on. Um, and, you know, to be honest, where we are with our roster, you know, who's available and kind of the work we need, you know, I felt like it would be more beneficial to just have a, a, another practice in, in terms of getting us better for, for fall.
2: When you say that, where you're at with your roster health, scholarship-wise, is that contributing to some of it?
3: Yeah, just health. You know, some of the depth at certain positions. You know, it it would be uh, it'd be hard to play a, a, a game. When you look at like spring
1: practice, coach, and and you are new in a place as you are as the head coach at Purdue, do you feel the greater priority is making sure that the roster knows who you are and what you're about? or make sure, making sure that you know your roster and know who your players are and what drives them?
3: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, the players get a chance to know me and what, what I'm about throughout winter workouts, um, really leading up to spring ball. And then, you know, everybody can look good in, in shorts and t-shirts, run around cones. So for us as a staff, you know, finding out who our roster is in and, and terms of what they can and can't do and um, you know what what areas that we need to attack in the in the transfer portal window uh, to help us um, you know better have success in the fall um, was was pivotal for us this uh, this spring ball.
1: What area so far? And I know it's still early, coach. But when you look over your roster and the cupboard you inherited, give me the area of your football team that has pleasantly surprised you.
3: You know there there are multiple places. You know I, I think that wide out, You know obviously Charlie Jones had so much production last year, um, but to see you know the, a group of guys uh, sort of take uh, the reins of that room and and they've been productive. Um, you know obviously went out and got Hudson Card in the that the first transfer window. Uh, he's been awesome. Um, you know our our outside backers they can they can get after the quarterback. That's been that's been awesome to see. So I think we got. Uh, pivotal and key pieces to have success in the fall. We just got to add some depth and uh, share up some spots at some other positions.
2: Again, Ryan Walters with us, Purdue head football coach on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You brought up Hudson Card, that pairing with Graham Harrell. Obviously, you got to be pretty excited about that. What particularly have you observed from Hudson on and off the field um, that you feel good handing him those starting reins?
3: Yeah, you know, off the field, he he just came in and and put his head down and went to work. Um, You know, he's, he's... Super athletic, you know, more athletic than probably people give him credit. Um, and just the way he's embraced the offense, um, really embraced the locker room, and, you know, his arm talent is, is special, man.
2: so I think that surprised you about maybe Purdue's brand, like, you know, you're an Illinois guy, so you haven't been like too far away from it. But it's not like you, you know, played at Purdue or played in the Big Ten. Like w- when you go out from a recruiting standpoint, or maybe how Purdue's viewed a little bit more nationally. Uh, anything stood out to you here in the past handful of months since you've taken over?
3: Yeah, like I've really fallen in love with this place, and, and just like you said, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, we played here when I was at Illinois in 21. You know, it was an 11 a.m. kickoff. You know, we were both pretty average at that point in time. Uh, but the place was sold out and so that that stuck out to me but i had no idea about the facilities i had no idea about campus you know my perception of purdue was it was a a, a good academic school and drew Brees had played here a time ago um and so to get here and to see the facilities see the uh community support i uh, really see the area and, and and realize how close it is to some major markets you know it's I've fallen in love with this place and i, I feel like in order to reach you know some of my goals and and achievements in my career. I don't have to leave anywhere, and so you know I'm I'm excited about this place. I think this place can be special, um, and and I think I got the staff to go do that.
1: It seems as though, Coach, that the transfer portal stuff is almost more discussed and more heard about, and maybe even more followed on the basketball side of things than football. But you know the transfers are always a reality in college athletics. Is it difficult? I mean, are we in in an era where this is going to be the norm of just almost like free agency year in and year out?
3: Yeah, I I think this is the norm for sure. And, you know, is it difficult? I don't know. It's different, you know what I mean, than it it has been in the past. Um, But, you know, we've got a team that is is actively monitoring the transfer uh, portal and uh, evaluating what our needs are. So I don't, I don't know if it's difficult. Definitely different, though.
2: If there was something that you could legislate from an NIL and or a transfer portal standpoint, maybe there isn't just one thing, but if there was one thing you would like to see from a rule or, or regulation put in place uh, in, in either of those avenues, what would it be?
3: Just that, you know, you look at like the NFL model, right? If you if you say NIL is basically like your, your salary cap, well, in the NFL, everybody's playing by the same rules. And and right now in, in college athletics, uh, nobody's playing by the same rules. In NIL, there is no salary cap. And so I think there's definitely – that's got to come to the head at some point. I don't know how you regulate that or how you govern that, um, but I think that's, that's an area that's got to be addressed. Ryan Walters is our
1: guest. He is the head coach at Purdue University Football. He is on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Coach, when you – since the time that you got to Purdue – your young family kind of got established, you know. As you talked about, like you've learned to love the place, and and things have settled down a little bit. And yes, in fact, you know, wow, I am the Purdue head football coach. With all of that, even with things settled down, what keeps you awake at night?
3: I mean, I mean, there's so many things, man. You know, when you are, and you know, when you are responsible for the amount of people, not only in the locker room but in the building and their families. Um, the reality of, of everybody having a good day every day is is not real, you know what I mean? Um, and so there are always issues that have nothing to do with football that, that you're sort of um, trying to find solutions to and, and trying to help out. Um, but it's, it's it comes with the territory, you know. That's that is one of the one of the satisfying things about this job as well is just to, to find solutions, find answers to problems, and um, help help people head in the right direction.
2: I'm guessing in balancing, obviously the spring football schedule. You've probably fielded some calls from NFL teams this time of year in regards to some of your players at Illinois, and they could hear their names called pretty early, a week from Thursday. When NFL teams do call you about guys that you've coached, what typically is is like the tone of those conversations?
3: They're always excited. Um, you know, they're they're appreciative of the of the way they play the game um and the the knowledge that they have you know our guys um historically you know that i've that i've coached in the back end are are high football iq guys because we we teach them the game you know what i mean and so they always do well um in the in the meeting rooms and and on the board um so i think that's also why it translates to them having success once they get to the nfl
2: what would you say, like, the percentage of those calls are, you know, okay, tell me more about your scheme or the style of this player versus tell me more about him off the field and, like, work ethic?
3: Uh, you know, it's actually, it's more actually about the off the field and work ethic, you know, because I mean, you turn on the tape and you, you can watch the tape, you know, um, so you see this game, you see the style of play without me being there. Um, but to, to, you know, hear about how they tick and, um you know what what kind of work ethic they have and how they take care of their bodies all those things you know those are things that you can't find out on tape Uh, so those are usually the answers that i'm that i'm providing
1: and you know we were just discussing this coach ryan walters is our guest we were just discussing with the draft and i would assume maybe this is true as well for kids that get a scholarship But with the NFL draft, one of the true wild cards to me, and I want you to tell me, Coach, if you agree or disagree with this, is that all of the commitment, all of the discipline, all of the practice, the work ethic, the early morning drills that have to go into getting one in position to be drafted or to be a Division I athlete, once that is inked and that goal is reached, you can never Truly judge how a player is going to react, and whether or not it's a player that says, "Okay, I'm good, I'm good, goal met, and that's it," and and then backs off the pedal, or whether they say, "I'm going for it now." Is there any way to get indication prior to that moment which way a guy's going to go?
3: You know, that's that's tough. Um, you know, I think that is one of the thing that is that's hard to identify. And evaluate. But it does exist, um, right? But it absolutely exists. and I, the, You know, the way that we combat that, um, usually guys that love football for football won't have problems after they, they ink their signature, right? Like the guys that, that play the game for the game and, and not for Twitter followers or Instagram likes, uh, but guys that genuinely love to play the game for the game, usually they, they continue to work, they continue to, to strive for greatness.
2: How much do you guys as a staff try and, like, seek out multi-sport high school kids? Like, is that something that you that you try to look for, and, and um, you know, I guess, what are maybe some other, you know, parameters that you're looking for from a recruiting standpoint outside of that?
3: Yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, it's definitely an added bonus if guys do play multiple sports. I just think there's so much carryover, um, you know, with ball skills and hand-eye coordination and... and um, you know, working as a team, you know, those those lessons, they can't be taught in a weight room. You know what I mean? Um, and so we definitely try to try to identify guys that, that do that. Um, and then it's, you know, the guys that have, have played multiple sports usually have success once they get in our building.
1: Give me the Big Ten campus, not named Purdue or Indiana, that when you have traveled there, and just and I know you guys are in and out their business trips but give me the Big Ten campus that you were like you know what this is actually kind of cool it'd be kind of a cool place to go to school this this
3: isn't bad I mean I, I can't I can't recruit for other Big Ten schools
1: now you <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't have said to go to school there but but that you thought to yourself hey, come on man alright how about this give me the one that you thought this place
3: early in the morning
1: how about this Th- how about this give me the Big Ten campus here. you're like this place sucks I'd never go to school here <laughs>
3: All of them, but uh, Purdue. Uh, all yeah, exactly. All of the above. I just left the place. Um, there was a place in Chicago. You know, everywhere, everywhere close to here. <laughs> you know, I think our place is. I think our place knocks it out the water.
2: He just starts naming every Big Ten West campus. Here. Hey,
3: I'll tell you what, though, it is a great.
1: You know the the facilities at Purdue, Coach. This is what probably, and I'm going off the top of my head. When Coach Brom got there, they really upgraded a lot of the, you know, the locker room facilities and the the workout facilities, the weight rooms, and, and in the when you get into the arsenal arms race of college football, those things have like sometimes a fairly short shelf life. But I would imagine that Purdue's facilities now are at the point you could put up against about anybody in the Big Ten, correct?
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. And and you know, to be honest with you, I had no idea that that was the case before I got here. Um, like I said, when I you know, coming down Cherry Lane and and seeing the practice. You know, we got two hundred yard practice fields, one grass, one turf. We got a a full hundred yard plus indoor facility that's got like the actual field dimensions, so you can have a scrimmage in there. Like I've never, I've never been anywhere where that was the case. Um, and you know, they're they're building this tunnel that goes from our facility to the stadium, and it's got stadium uh, renovations. Um, you know, so I, I I always tease alumni. I'm like, listen, we don't we don't need facilities anymore. You just got to give give to the Alliance so we can go get guys, you know what I mean? Um, but the, the, uh, the facilities here, are they are top-notch, and, and I couldn't be uh, more happy.
1: What is next in terms of the calendar towards where you are right now with your roster, with your team, with your familiarity, and kind of in your mind how you see the next phase of getting your team and yourself ready before you really get into your schedule?
3: Yeah, I mean, so we we got to finish this last week of spring ball, and then those guys will, the guys in the locker room will, um, you know, head out to finals and and get a little break to go home. Um, while they're doing that, we'll we'll be out on the road recruiting um, for that, that spring session and evaluation session. We'll probably add anywhere from seven to nine transfer guys before the summer uh, starts. Um, then we'll get eight weeks of work with uh, Coach Rowe in the summertime, uh, heading into uh, fall camp, and then you are on a cracking for
2: the season. Again, Ryan Walters, a first-year head coach at Purdue. No spring game coming up this weekend due to the renovations at Ross A, but concluding their spring football schedule. Coach, um, I know there's not a ton of quiet time in the next few months. As you just said, you're going to be a busy, busy man, especially on the transfer hunt. Uh, but if you get some downtime, enjoy it, and uh, always enjoy our conversations. Hopefully we can catch up before the season starts this fall.
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. And
2: thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know if uh, this next segment, Jake, can maybe be like continued therapy for Purdue basketball fans, but I think there is an element of that that Dane O'Neill provided in what I believe is Matt Painter's first kind of public comments since the Fairley Dickinson loss. Dane O'Neill from The Athletic joins us now and. Uh, one of her latest after March Madness flame-out, Matt Painter looks for new way forward at Purdue. Dana, would you call it maybe an element of therapy for Purdue fans reading this piece?
4: <laughs> I hope so. I guess I could use it, that's for sure. I mean... I can't imagine what it feels like because that was such a run of a great season. Then, oh my God, to have the rug pulled out from under you by tiny little Fairleigh Dickinson, which I'm sure most Purdue fans couldn't find on a map if they tried. Um, that that takes some time to recover from. I can imagine.
2: You know, when I was reading your piece, and again, I highly encourage really just anybody in college basketball to to, to read it. I, I felt like if you were a Purdue fan, you walked away. And thought, those are the words I want to hear. Like, obviously, actions are going to have to play off of that. But I thought Matt Painter, as he typically does, just has a great grasp of where things stand, not only within his program, but college basketball as well. And what needs to be done now to address the elephant in the room of advancing in March.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, there's two ways a coach can re- react to these sorts of situations, right? They can get their back up and get super defensive and say, you know, they caught us on a bad day. It's crazy. It's March, which all of which are true. Those crazy things do happen. Or you can look yourself in the mirror and say, why is this happening? What am I not doing well enough? And, yeah, look, I think Matt Painter is just a terrific, plain-spoken you know, very self-reflective person. And he looked in the mirror and said, you know, I haven't been good enough. I have not constructed this team properly. This is why we're running into some problems. And and he wasn't just talking about Fairly Dickinson. He was kind of talking about, you know, once people kind of saw them twice, I think they figured out after scouting them how to beat them a little bit better. So he was just talking about bigger problems not just like you know I'm going to knee-jerk react to losing in the first round but what what do I need to do to make this team better and you know more successful so credit to him I mean I know people want to like kind of smack him right now but credit to him
1: so Dana with that what things did he illuminate to you that he saw as shortcomings from his coaching and also maybe in terms of his roster build
4: yeah, I mean roster build starting with he just you know they need to get quicker and more athletic. Which you know, look if you watch them this year, that is not exactly breaking news, right? That Matt Painter is pointing this out. They are terrifically sound. They are uh, fundamentally sound. They they don't make mistakes usually. They are very cerebral. That's all wonderful. But you also need to be quick and athletic and be able to just kind of break people down and make a play every once in a while. And they didn't have that. I mean, you know, again, I think Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are terrific. But once especially in the Big Ten, I think you saw this, once everyone kind of saw them once, they realized, oh, okay, you know, that's how we can beat them. And and they started to you know, they started to find ways to sort of pressure the guards a little bit more and, and that's when Purdue struggled. And that's you know, they had a lot of turnovers again in the game against F D U. They didn't shoot the ball very well and that's that's a Stinking recipe for disaster. So you know that—that that to me, I think was the glaring thing that he said. Like this, we need to roster construct better. And then you know, off, you know, offensively, he's not going to change the way he thinks. But can he loosen things up a little bit more? Sure, I think he can. Does he have? Does he have to change the way? If I don't even know what Zach Eadie is doing, they run things through Zach Eadie, perhaps. But that's a question to be answered once Zach Eadie makes up his mind.
2: I was going to say, uh, have we heard anything on the ED front? I nope. feel like we're, aren't we kind of closing in on a deadline? <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I asked Matt, I said, you know, cause Zach put up this thing uh, on Twitter that basically listed all his accomplishments and said, thank you, Purdue, and just getting started. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to like read, like I can't speak <laughs> like a 20 something year old. Like I'm trying to, what does this mean? Like, I'm you know, like, I'm reading a, a Chinese fortune thing. And he's like, I have no idea either. He hasn't decided. I was like, okay. So, yeah, I would think soon we will hear a decision
2: from Zach Eadie. I see all these graphics. I'm like, these are really cool. Just show me the line that says declaring or returning to said school. Again, Dana O'Neill is with us from The Athletic, uh, one of our latest pieces. Great insight from Matt Painter on reacting to that Fairleigh Dickinson loss. I thought one of the cooler anecdotes within your piece is you mentioned that uh, Matt Painter and Tony Bennett have had a conversation. (laughs) And, of course, the history with us here locally in Kyle Guy's backyard Pretty well documented, obviously. What what Tony Bennett had to deal with?
4: Yeah, I mean, it was one of the best um, stories I thought written about this loss was by Chuck Culpepper at the um, Washington Post, and he said that I forget his exact term, but he said it was sort of a play on what does misery love more than? Oh, look, company. Virginia says, "Welcome, you two have lost to a 16 seed," and yeah, you know that's who Tony Bennett is. is. I mean, he is a good person. Um, who understands, you know, better than anybody and maybe the only person anybody, right, that how this feels. And he reached out to Matt Painter and cautioned him, which I thought was a really important message. Like, don't feel compelled to redo everything. There's going to be this panic out there where everyone's going to tell you that your way doesn't work anymore. I mean, that was what we heard about Tony Bennett, that his system didn't work. It couldn't win. And he stayed the course and said, you know, I'm not going to panic. And they won the national championship the next year. So he was... Very pointed about telling Matt, like, don't give up on what you've built. There's a temptation with Matt, the way he's built this program. You know, he likes certain kinds of players, certain high character kind of guys, and there are easy fixes, right? You can go drop in the portal, just take whatever you can get and gobble up and reconstruct your roster on the fly. But is, does that is that sustainable? Probably not. And that was uh, Tony Bennett's message to Matt, which I thought was a really important message to ha- to have.
1: Dana, there are certain athletic programs that. And this is maybe unfair of me. I think of them as IKEA programs. Like IKEA furniture is really cool looking. And then, like, you really dive into it and you go, yeah it's really kind of plastic stuff that's put together, right? Like, I don't know that it's as durable and nice as it yeah. looks, but it looks good, right? I, I, like, in football, I think of Kansas State and Texas Tech as IKEA programs. They're good. They look good. But when it really comes down to it and the brass tacks of when it matters, you're like, yeah, okay, but they're not Alabama and Texas and Clemson, you know, whatever. Is Purdue thought of nationally as an Ikea program in college basketball? Do you think people are sold on Purdue?
4: I think people waffle. I think people want to be sold on Purdue because I think they you know, they appreciate Matt Painter and his thoughtfulness and the way he runs his offense and the stuff that they run. I think they appreciate the way he's gone about building the program. He kind of a few years ago said, no, I'm not doing it that way anymore. I'm not going to chase everybody. I'm going to chase what I want. But I do think there's a legitimate question because look, this is if he had just lost to Fairleigh Dickinson and that was the end of it. Everyone's like, well, okay, stuff happens. You lost to St. Peter's last year, you know, you lost to North Texas. There's a question of whether or not there is something inherently wrong with the program build that can win in March. I'm not saying I'm one of those people, but I do think there is a legitimate question. About that, and it's like one of those show me things. But I always point out too. I can remember watching. I'll never forget Bill Self when they played when Kansas played Davidson and Steph Curry, and they 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 won that game. And it was like he looked like he had like taken the weight of the world off of his shoulders because at that point, Bill Self was the coach that couldn't win the big one. Every coach goes through this. Right, Mark Few is going through this. Mark Few has gone to the national championship game, hasn't won it. What's wrong? Why isn't Gonzaga good enough to win the national championship? So I think there's a lot of teams and coaches that fall into that, and I don't necessarily think it's a fair narrative. I just think it's really stinking hard to win the NCAA tournament. I really do. It's not like the best of seven. It's hard. It's really, really hard.
1: Now, a couple of days ago, Dana, you sent out a a Twitter picture. Dana O'Neill, by the way, at Dana O'Neill Writer on Twitter, um, of a, a really good looking draft beer. And, and I'm curious what it is. It, it, it's light. It's light. And sometimes, like some of the, I like to mix up the different beers. And then sometimes they, a lot of these places do too much of like the sours. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, do you recall what it was that you had?
4: I really don't because it was a light IPA at a local place. I just said, can I have whatever your light IPA is? And that's what they gave me. And it was really good. I was doing it at the t- toast to Billy Hahn, who was a, an assistant coach for Gary Williams at Maryland and Bob Huggins at um, West Virginia, who recently passed away, and his wife, his wife requested that at 7 p.m. on Saturday, everybody raise a toast to Billy and say, yo, dog. So that was my yo, dog beer. Okay, well, that's a really cool. good beer, but I cool. don't remember what it's called. A sorry. light
1: IPA, here's the thing, Dana, a light IPA is always a good way to go and while the circumstances are obviously not what anyone would want being able to raise it for somebody that was by all account a good coach and a good man then all for it right
4: absolutely absolutely it's a piece of cake I, yeah it was, a, it, was a, it was a perfect toast to billy and it was a really good beer and i'm really sad that i can't remember it because i could be touting someone's great beer and i have
2: no idea what it was dana I, i'm sure there's times where you probably in trying to follow the nil world of college athletics would like to drink a beer or two um, <laughs> a, as you're getting through that um last one i guess from from me when you look at transfer portal you look at nil do you think we're close to any sort of regulation on either? Both just scream wild, wild west to me. And, and <laughs> Do you feel like we are close on either of those ends to creating a little bit of, hey, here's a one-cheater of the rules, follow them?
4: Uh, no, I don't think we're close. I think the NCA would like to do that, especially with NIL, but it is such a mess right now because... You know they want help coming up with federal regulation, and all the states have different rules. You know, I didn't even realize I was down at North Carolina talking to Kevin Keith at NC State, and the rules in the state of North Carolina. Like he can't even speak about it; like it's against the law, essentially in North Carolina. So the rule, the the state laws are so messy right now and so conflicting, and the NCA is so behind the eight ball. Shocker um that i don't know that they're going to fix it very quickly they need to i know they would like to i know a lot of coaches and people would like to but it's not that simple because you know the government essentially is involved so it's going to be really difficult as for the transfer portal you know this is what they created they they created the one-time transfer piece and this is this is the result of it i do think that um There's a combination of things going on with that. There's COVID people, like extra year COVID. So that's adding to it. Also, I think everyone's going to try it once because it's like a new shiny penny. Eventually, maybe it will calm down, especially if people, you know, unfortunately transfer and don't succeed. Maybe guys will be like, "Mm, maybe it's not worth it. Um, But, you know... I mean, there are people there. Are people going in the portal. Like, what did you have so bad? Like, why are you leaving? I don't even understand. It's it's a, it's chaos out there. It is absolute chaos.
1: Dana, final minute here, and the last one for me. I love the fact that you wrote the book about the Big East because you know just about the influence, the entertainment of like the the Georgetown, St. John's, Karnasek, John Thompson, Big East, Big Mondays on ESPN. That was such a magical, magical time. It's still a great league, but back in those days, I hope people get a chance to, to flip through that and realize what a magical time that was.
4: Thank you. It was such a fun book to write, because not only do you have these amazing games and personalities and great stories and great storytellers, it would be, you know, hey, I'm going to call Gary Williams and say, hey, do you have a minute to talk about the biggies? he's like, oh my God, and then off he goes. You know what I mean? It's like It wasn't like anybody was like, no, I don't have anything to say. Every story was crazier than the next, but the basketball was even better than the stories. It's, it is a, like an era, I guess I hate to sound like an old nostalgic person, but it is a lost era. People just are too afraid to be that controversial these days um, or that honest maybe is a better word for it. Um, but, man, was it fun. I mean, I think the league, I give the league credit. It's fantastic. Again, it's not the same, but it's pretty darn good. But back in those days, it was every night was just like a fist fight, and it was so much fun to watch.
1: Well, Ken. I'm old and nostalgic, as we know, Kevin, so I got zero problem with that. <laughs>
2: and at times, make me want to drink a beer That's think, right. at the At the end of the show. <laughs> there you go. We gr- tie it all together. <laughs> great great work on the Purdue front. Again, I encourage the Boiler fans to read. I think in typical Matt, Matt Painter fashion, anytime he talks, you want to listen, but I think they'll come away um, appreciating those words, and obviously we'll see the actions that play off of that. Dana, thanks for the conversation here on this Monday.
4: Thanks for having me, guys. Take care.